is Hebrews chapter 1. We've just finished Judges, and it's not my plan as of this very moment to go through the book of Hebrews. I can't, I can't uh, say what I might think later today or tomorrow, but that's not the plan um, as of now. But this, I wanted to uh, do a, a sermon that's a, a, a bit of a dedicated to the, the blonde family, and I'll explain that in a little bit. Uh, but this was a, a passage that particularly uh, spoke to what I wanted to, to talk about this morning as we go to God's inerrant and infallible word, and we'll consider it together. Before we read God's holy word, let us pray. Father, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. What we are not, make us. For your Son's sake, and by the power of the Spirit speaking through your word, amen. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. This is God's holy word. Let's give our attention to his reading. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Well, indeed, it's a great honor for me to preside over this worship service, which is a special day for the Blonde family. Some of you may, may not know, I've probably shared this with most of you, some of you may not know, Ben and I went to the same high school, TF South, right down the road in, in Lansing. We overlapped for a little bit. We roamed the same hallways. He was a football and basketball star in high school, and he's a couple years older than me. I wanted to be just like him, actually. Uh, maybe I still do. Who knows? Another fun fact, not a fun fact, but really a, an encouraging thing, Ben and Tanya have given their children middle names to remind us of the solas of the Reformation. So we have Aria Grace, Grace Alone, and Benjamin Cannon, a little bit more creative, but Benjamin Cannon is reminding us of Scripture alone, Sola Scriptura. The canon of Scripture is what God has given to us for all that we need in faith and in life. As Christians, we live our lives. The final rule of faith and life is the Bible. Scripture alone, or the sufficiency of Scripture It's a a doctrine that simply says, God has given us all that we need 
to live lives as faithful Christians. He's declared to us everything that we need to know, and it is right there in his word. So today, in celebration of God's covenant love and faithfulness to us, as a prayer over the life of Benjamin Cannon Blonde, let's consider this doctrine as we find it in Scripture itself. It's our prayer that Benjamin, as well as all of our little ones, all of our children, would put the word of God as a banner over his life and his heart and walk every step of his life according to God's word. One of my seminary professors used to joke with us and say, um, you know, none of you are on a a road that's probably going to make you much money in this life. And uh, kind of jokingly, he would say, I, I, I know what you can do if you kind of want to do a little bit of a, of, a, of a jut and a jog and go towards something that may make you more money. Start writing books and claim that you have a direct line of communication to God. Write books that say, God has revealed to me that the secret of this or the, the secret of that or what's going to happen uh, in the future. There's something to that, right? When we, we used to have these things called bookstores, and now every 10 seconds we see one of those gray Amazon vans ride past our house. But we used to have these things called bookstores. You could go to the, the spiritual or religion section and the Christianity shelf and the kind of books that you would find would generally be just that. Books where people were, were claiming something of a direct line of communication to God. That God has revealed to me something that you need to know so that you can live the life as a faithful Christian. This is the the answer in 2004 or 1997. Maybe you remember, this is going way back, um, and 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Returning in 1988, um, a book that maybe didn't age so well. But you, you see, you can claim that direct line of communication and people tend to eat it up because we, we, we think, we tend to think or want to think that there's this new secret that's being revealed. But imagine if that were true, what kind of an endless chase it would be. You would have to purchase every book that claimed that. You would have to comb through the information. Well, maybe this chapter is right, but this chapter is not so right. And to try to keep up with that, the thousands of books that are published or the, the thousands of things that are said on any day or week or month, it becomes an endless chase. That's why we can be, or that's one of the reasons why we can be so thankful that God has spoken, that he has given us, in the, contained within the scriptures, the 66 books of the scriptures, all that we need for life and for godliness. Everything that you need to live for God and for his glory is right there in the scriptures. So we'll talk about sufficiency for a few minutes, and then we'll unpack Hebrews 1 together. Here's a definition of the sufficiency of Scripture. Everything that I need to learn in order to live for the glory of God and enjoy Him forever, I will find in Scripture and its application and teaching. In other words, the purpose of Scripture is for equipping God's people to live for God and for His glory and to enjoy Him forever. And Scripture can and does accomplish that purpose. A lot of people, in having these discussions throughout my life, people will bring up things and say, well, what about the the fact that Scripture doesn't speak to every subject? 
I can't go to the Bible to learn uh, precisely how to study rock formations, or I can't go to the Bible to figure out how to be a dentist, or, or fix cars, or properly cite sources on my term paper. And all of that is true, but that doesn't do anything to break down the sufficiency of Scripture. Scripture is very narrow in its aim, but then broad in its applications. When we're talking about the sufficiency of Scripture, we're saying just that. What does Scripture do? It equips us as God's people to live for God and for his glory. It has that narrow purpose, but the application of the sufficiency of Scripture is wide. Let me use an illustration to show you what I mean. When you go to a driving school uh, to learn how to drive, it's an exciting time of life, a lot of times you will start off on a, on a contained lot. It'll look like a parking lot, but the lines will be much different. They'll have a course to drive through the lot. They'll have signs. It'll sort of simulate the kinds of situations that you might find when you're out on the road. And the hope there is that when you're going through that training, you become a a well-informed, a well-trained, and a safe driver. And when you become licensed with all of that knowledge, you can go anywhere in this nation onto the road. You can know what you're doing. You can be well-trained. You can be responsible. You can be safe. That lot won't foresee every situation that you will come up against, but it will train you to be able to respond and act in every situation. Something like that obtains with the sufficiency of Scripture. Because if you know and understand how to live for God and serve Him and enjoy Him, that is knowledge that can take you anywhere, in any vocation, in any situation of life, and live with faithfulness to God, to live rightly before Him. So 2 Peter chapter 1 is a wonderful passage that speaks to this truth. God in his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. It's very broad, right? God has given to us all things in his word, as 2 Peter 1 goes on to explain. All things that pertain to life and godliness, living for God, being rightly constituted before him as a sinner saved by grace, standing in a state of grace under the representation of Christ. Your sins are forgiven. God has said you are righteous as you believe in the gospel and trust in Jesus Christ and repent of your sins. That position will never be taken away from a forgiven sinner. And then it also teaches you how to live out of that freedom that Christ has won for you. It trains you in godliness to be able to live for God and for his glory. So it's like that driving illustration, but it's, it's much deeper. Someone who has God's word, who opens it up faithfully, reads it, sits under the preaching of God's word, lives as a faithful member of Christ's church, you can go into any situation, anything that relates to your job, your family, your hobbies, in public or in private, with the understanding that God has revealed to me all that I need to know to live in faithfulness to him and to glorify him in whatever situation I might encounter. It's true. The Bible is not a textbook for how to be a plumber. But it, does, it is able to teach each and every plumber in the world how to be a plumber who serves God in his life and in his vocation. And not just plumbers, but presidents and prison guards and parents 
There is no vocation of life. There's no station. There's no calling. There's no situation that you can find in which you can say, here is something the Bible does not adequately equip me to serve God in. It does. It is sufficient to do all of that. It's narrow in its aim, but it's wide in its application. The Word of God works on us, and it it cultivates a heart of faithfulness, of thankfulness, and a desire to serve God. Hebrews chapter 4 says, The Word of God is living and active. Most of us know this passage, right? Sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. It goes to the heart of a man or a woman, and it searches us, and it does work in us and to us. We'll talk about that in a little bit, but it's the spirit who is using that word to accomplish God's purposes in us. It provides a framework for living to God and for his glory. No matter what your vocation is, you could be a a, a tradesman, be a a businessman, you could be a, a homemaker, you could be anything, and the Bible equips you to live for God. That's what the sufficiency of Scripture means, and that's what it teaches to us. And provide us with a simple framework I heard a breakdown a couple of months ago that I absolutely loved. It's seven principles that everyone could, could take to heart and they would be miles ahead in terms of living for God and his glory. First, number one, abide in Christ. Jesus says in John, in the Last Supper account in John, abide in me, right? remain in me. There's nowhere you can go on this earth where that does not apply to you. Where you would say, well, now I I no longer have to abide in Christ. What does it mean to abide in him? To remain trusting in him. To continue believing in him as your savior and prophet and priest and king and Lord. Abide in Christ. Second, walk by the spirit each and every day. Make it your aim. Whether saying it to God through prayer or just in in your own uh, way that you go about living your life. I'm going to walk by the Spirit today. Lord, help me to walk by the Spirit. Help me to show the fruit of the Spirit so that I would not gratify the desires of the flesh. Abide in Christ. Walk by the Spirit. Third, set your mind on things above. No matter where you go or what you do, what you are called to do or what you are faced with, be filled with the conviction that the kingdom of God is the most valuable thing that you can find in this world. That to find Christ is to find the pearl of great price. Be filled with a heavenly mindedness. And watch how that shapes your life. The things that you do. What you value. How you serve others. The kingdom of God is above all. Abide in Christ. Walk by the Spirit. Set your mind on things above. Rejoice always. Fourth. Rejoice always. No matter what you are faced with. What tough circumstances you may face. Though they may fill you with sorrow. We are to Rejoice in the Lord. I've seen it. I've seen people faced with impossibly difficult situations and yet by the grace of God can rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Let your life be a life of prayer. Jesus Christ, our Lord, is our model of faith, our model of faithfulness, our example. What did he do? He filled his life with prayer. Have a dependence upon God, knowing that you cannot live without him. There is no situation you could find where that wouldn't be relevant. Pray without ceasing. Sixth, give thanks in all circumstances. Be filled with thankfulness because you know what God has given to you in Christ. 
No matter what life throws your way, what the enemy brings into your path, what your flesh draws you towards, what the world puts in front of you, be thankful that you know God in Christ. That's sixth. And then seventh, whatever you do in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Do it in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Abide in Christ. Walk by the Spirit. Set your mind on things above. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's what the sufficiency of a scripture is all about. The Bible gives you a framework to go into any, any, any place in this world, any corner of this world, to be faced with any situation, any temptation, any, any set of circumstances, and say, God has shown me in his word. He has given me that which I need to serve him and love him and glorify him. That's the sufficiency of scripture. Let's consider Hebrews 1, which shows that to us in, this, in these first four verses. Hebrews 1 teaches us that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the center of God's redemption and revelation. He's the center of salvation and the center of revelation. It is in Christ and only in Christ that we are forgiven of our sins. And we, we know that and, and most Christians are right there, right immediately. But where we tend to get mixed up is where we consider that Christ is the fullest revelation of God and that all of God's revelation centers around Jesus Christ. He's the centerpiece of all that God has revealed to us. That's a very important point to understand. And to understand that salvation and scripture or redemption and revelation are joined together at the hip. That's what God intended to give us when he gave us his word. A word that saves, that's powerful to save and to equip. All of God's word is for the purpose of transferring us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his light and preserving us in that state of grace until we reach the end of our lives. So one pastor puts it this way. Jesus Christ is God's full and final act of redemption and God's full and final revelation of himself. Even the later writings of the apostles were simply the remembrances of what Christ said, as we find in John 14, 26. And the further writings of the New Testament were the spirit-wrought explanation of all that he was and all that he accomplished. So one theologian says this, nothing can be added to his redemptive work and nothing can be added to the revelation of that redemptive work. If we say revelation is not complete, we must admit that somehow the work of redemption also remains unfinished. So these two things are joined at the hip. What God reveals is bringing to light his salvation. And since salvation is finished in Christ, then the word that he has given to his people on earth is complete. We have all we need until the day that Jesus Christ comes again. And this is why we don't desperately need to search for signs from God, new communications from him in terms of where to go to college or or who to marry or, or what item to buy. Because that's not the way that God speaks to us. We tend to be obsessed with the, the tiniest what's of our life. What should I do here or there? Am I at a fork in the road and God is trying to veer me onto one path or another? No, God equips us in his word with the how. Every decision that we are faced with. 
God says, here's how to live wisely. Here's how to seek my glory. Now go and live in that framework. Do it in faith. Do it in accordance with God's law and for his glory. Do it in the service of neighbor. That's what concerns God, the heart of things. He cares most about the how. When it comes to the specific things that he does reveal, it is about salvation. Salvation. How we are saved from sin. So Hebrews 1 begins by saying, Many, formerly, God spoke at many times and in many ways, in various ways, through many, the mouths of many prophets. So there was a diversity to how God was speaking in former times, times before Jesus Christ came to this earth. The diversity then is contrasted with the uniformity of the way that God speaks to us now. He speaks to us now or he has spoken to us now in and by his son in these last days. Right? Jesus Christ has inaugurated the last days in this world because we are now living where the end times have been inaugurated. Right? The, the age to come is active among us because Jesus Christ reigns. His kingdom is established in heaven. And we are seeking that kingdom that will not fade away. But when we speak of the sufficiency of Scripture in these ways, we're we're constantly or we're immediately uh, uh, confronted with the question, well, what about the Holy Spirit? So we know that the Holy Spirit is very active in what God is doing in the world and in his word. And so where does the Spirit come in? Well, Jesus taught us those very things. We go back to the Gospel of John. Jesus said, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So the apostles were given the charge, with the help of the Holy Spirit, to repeat or to give to the world the teachings of Jesus. And that tells us something about the the job that the Holy Spirit is to do, the mission of the Holy Spirit in this world. You go forward to John chapter 16. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Spirit is to take what belongs to Jesus Christ which is to say redemption and the grace that we find in Jesus Christ and to spread it abroad through the world, to apply it to human hearts, the saving work of Jesus Christ and the preserving grace of his spirit. So if Christ has come and has finished his work, then the spirit's work is to shine a big spotlight on Jesus. That's what the spirit is doing in the world today, shining a big, a big spotlight on Jesus. J.I. Packer puts it this way, there are no words of God spoken to us at all today except the words of scripture. The spirit is bringing to our hearts to a living knowledge of those words, right? The word of God is living and active. Our hearts are dead to those truths a lot of times. The spirit makes our hearts alive to understand all of those things. So if it's the spirit's job to shine a big spotlight on Jesus, One of the greatest places that happens is right here in Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1 is a big spotlight on the work of Jesus Christ. And it shows us what the sufficiency of Scripture is all about. Scripture is sufficient to bring more glory to Jesus Christ, which is the purpose of all that God is doing in the world. 
So the spotlight on Jesus. Let's unpack some of these phrases with the time that we have remaining. Hebrews 1 teaches us that Jesus is the goal of history. He's the goal of history. He is called the heir of all things. In other words, he will be the one who at the end of history is glorified beyond all else. And everything and everyone else, Jesus Christ will be glorified above every name. Everything culminates in Christ. It will be his name that is sung into the corridors of eternity. The mission of the forward march of time, why the sun rose this morning, and in all likelihood it will set this evening, and Lord willing, it will rise again tomorrow. Time is moving forward so that God can give to Jesus Christ that which rightfully belongs to him. We're going forward towards Jesus Christ. History is marching forward towards him, and he will be glorified above all other names in eternity. Not only is he the goal of history, he is the source of history. Hebrews 1 says that through him, all things were created. He is the beginning. He is the first and the last. So all things come from him. All things are moving towards him. And Hebrews 1 also says that he upholds the present. He sustains all things by his powerful word. Every single millisecond of the history of this universe attests to the glory and the beauty and the majesty of Jesus Christ. This world is finely tuned for the existence of creatures, human beings, animals, plant life. The more we learn about this world, the more astounding it is, right? How complex everything is and how it's so finely tuned to allow for the existence of life. That attests to the glory and the beauty and the majesty of Jesus. So it all comes from him. Every millisecond is sustained by his power. It's all moving towards him. This is who Jesus Christ is. The beginning, the present, and the end. It's all about Jesus Christ. That is the will of the Father to glorify Jesus Christ. And it is the will of Jesus Christ to mutually glorify the Father. And Hebrews 1 talks about that when it says that he is the radiance of the glory of God. This word for radiance is a reflection of brightness. So when you go outside and if you've ever seen the reflection of the sun off of a mirror and it's, and it's blindingly bright, you see the reflection of, of sunlight off of a mirror. Uh, Jesus is something like that, but he's something even more glorious. Imagine going outside and there's a sun that we can't see. We couldn't see it. We can see the sun if you go outside and look at it. I don't advise that, especially our kids. Don't stare at the sun, kids. But if you go outside, imagine a sun that we couldn't see if you looked up into the sky, but you could reflect it. That's what Jesus is, because it, it is there that our eyes will behold the glory of God. He is the radiance of the glory of God. In Christ, we will behold a glory that we otherwise would not see. And we will praise him forever. So Hebrews 1 does a beautiful job of kind of putting before our eyes the glory, the majesty, the beauty of Christ. This is who he is. It's from him. It's to him. It's in him. He is the radiance of the glory of God. But then it brings us right to the, the center of the mystery of the history of the world and all that God is doing. He is the one who makes purification for sins. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Hebrews, someday we'll go through it, 
I don't plan to start uh, this week, but someday we'll go through it. And what we see in Hebrews is that Jesus Christ is greater than everything. He's greater than angels in chapters 1 and 2. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than Melchizedek. He's greater than the high priest in the temple. He's greater than the temple. His covenant is greater than the old covenant. He is greater than all of the examples of faith that we have found because he is the one who establishes our faith. He brings us to a kingdom that is greater than any kingdom in this world. Jesus Christ is great and he is glorious and that is the one who is given for us to make purification for sins. He is the one who was beaten and led on a road to Calvary. The beginning, present, and the end of history. The one who created it all, who came to this world to bear sin and the stain of sin and the penalty for sin to satisfy the justice of God. You see, Jesus didn't need the cross to be glorious. He didn't need to be the Savior. He had glory. He was the all-sufficient and all-glorious one, the second person of the Trinity, God the Son. He did not need the cross to be glorious, and yet he came to bear the penalty of sin to accomplish it for us. That's the something of the, the wonder of the gospel to see that this is the one who paid the price of sin for me, for me, that I might be with God. And when we understand that mystery, then God can equip us. Or when we understand even just a little bit of the mystery, we're scratching the surface today and the rest of our lives. We're merely scratching the surface of the glory of what it means that God the Son went to the cross for us. But to understand something of that mystery is where God is able to equip us to live in service to him. And that's what the Bible is about, to shine a big spotlight on Jesus. To say, this is the one who bore sin for you. This is the one who paid the price for our salvation. And so until Christ comes again, God will be speaking the glory of Christ through his word by the power of the Spirit. Just a couple of things as we close. If that's true, what kind of a value should we set upon the word of God? How valuable should the Bible be to us? That this is God's gift to us, to equip us for all of life, for his glory. John Newton puts it this way. All that is necessary to make you wise unto salvation is there in the scriptures and there alone. In this precious book, you will find a direction for every doubt, a solution for every difficulty, a promise suited to every circumstance you can be in. This is the fountain of living waters. If you forsake it and give the preference to broken cisterns of your own devising, they will fail you when you most need them. Rejoice, therefore, that such a treasure is put into your hand, but rejoice with trembling. So set a high value upon the word of God. Secondly, remember the necessity of prayer with the word. Newton goes on to say, you could memorize every phrase from Genesis to Revelation. You could know it all. You could know how to parse every word in the Hebrew and the Aramaic and the Greek. You could know what various commentators say about any passage, be able to, to explain something of what the author is saying there. But without the work of the Spirit giving you 
the true meaning of Scripture, it is helpless. Therefore, pray that God, the Holy Spirit, would open up the meaning of Scripture to you and cause you to live in light of the truth. Third, believe the message of salvation that this sufficient word declares to you. Believe that in Christ your sins are forgiven. Believe that in Christ you have a standing before God that can never be taken away. Believe what the word says that without Christ you will not enjoy eternal life. Without Christ, you will face an eternity of condemnation. So come to the Lord and trust in him and believe in him. And then in the freedom that he wins for you, go and live for him. And then lastly, if his word is sufficient and you go to his word, then finally serve him. Serve him. Be confident that the word of God is sufficient. Be confident that it's sufficient to equip you to live for God's glory. Open it up. Be in the word. Sit under the preaching of the word. Interact with other faithful believers who are just as committed to it. Be confident that this word is sufficient. Be confident in what God says. Be confident that he can equip you through this word. And then in the courage, one, through that realization, serve God, serve him, and live for his glory each and every day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word makes so clear that our hope is found in Christ alone. Help us to live with a true conviction of what you say there and help us to seek to live more and more for your glory each and every day. Forgive us of our sins and send us out into the world this week more fully equipped to live for you and to enjoy you forever. We thank you for the opportunity to gather today. We pray for your blessing over the Blonde family and the life of Benjamin Cannon Blonde. And we give his life into your hands. Ask that you would give him and cultivate in him a true faith and that he would be a servant of you and a servant for your kingdom. We thank you and praise you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's end by singing in Christ alone. It's on the other side of your...